Alan Mead is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Alan Mead Experience. My name is Alan Mead, dentist, podcaster, sugar-free Red Bull drinker. I'd like to introduce my co-host for today. Uh, He's an influential guy in my life, good friend. Uh, He's a dentist from the Lawrence, Kansas area, according to his Skype account, Lawrence, Kansas area. Guy by the name of Dr. Grant Ritchie. Grant, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Al. Thanks for having me on. My esteemed colleague. That's right. I haven't really been esteemed by many people. I, I uh, When you say esteemed, it's it's almost like if you're talking to someone in from Spain that you were esteemed, they say, you are esteemed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, no, I was saying you were esteemed because you're always hacked off about something. Yeah, exactly. Angry. Yeah, exactly. I started a podcast right. with that word in it. Yeah. So anyhow, um, Grant is a podcaster. Grant, I think, is actually maybe the very first podcaster that I ever actually knew, like, in for reals, right? So Grant has a podcast he's been doing for, God, it's got to be five years, right? No, four years, actually. Four years, okay. It's called The Just Prism. Just like five. It's, yeah, <laughs> four years, but <laughs> seems every bit of five to me. Um, it's called The Prism Podcast, and um, it's, it's, it's tangentially dental i would say right it's it's there are times you guys cover dental pod dental topics and times that you guys don't i would say yeah i think that's fair and um i've had two co-hosts the first one was jason lechtefeld who started with it you, started you wore him out basically you just... i wore him out <laughs> yeah finally he'd had enough and he's just like one day after a kind of like he, a flat tire i, I don't I he mean, just I, slammed yeah. down his headphones and just stomped out of the room that's it i'm done uh, I'm done. But he is a dentist as well. So when he was my co-host, I think we understandably did a lot more dental topics. My new co-host, whom I haven't quite worn out yet, is Dr. Clay Jones, a pediatric hospitalist from the Boston area. And as a physician and uh, a science-based guy, as we'll get into, uh, we haven't done as many dental topics just because that's not in his wheelhouse as much. And we have tried to go I think you should do a lot of dental topics with him and make him feel bad for not knowing stuff I mean that's 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 the angle I would probably take yeah just quiz him and when he didn't know the answer just kind of kind of laugh at him or or just maybe not laugh not right in his face maybe just kind of sideways little little things to make him feel a little less esteem you know esteem exactly Esteem. Esteem. Yeah. So, uh, I no, you guys have a great, you guys have, both both of your co-hosts you've had really good chemistry with. And actually, you and Jason had a, a triumphant return for one one final hurrah when you did your podcast live at the Voices of Dentistry last year in Nashville. Actually, this year, in January of this year. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, it was fun to get the band back together. That That's was right. a... Uh, great conference that that you organized yeah we're it's uh, we got news coming out uh hopefully soon hopefully really soon we it's a matter of getting some website stuff in order but and we're going to announce soon so it's going to happen again just as an fyi but we haven't we haven't officially announced and i'm just chomping at the bit to announce but anyhow uh the second annual huh yes there there will be another there will be another what it didn't yoda say that in the empire strikes back 
There is Remember another. There will be. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He's talking about. He's talking about Leia. Oh, she okay. never had any of the four stuff, though. She never really, you know. It's kind of a lame. I mean, if you're going to lay that one out in the Empire Strikes Back, you should kind of do something with it, right? I don't know. Just yeah, uh, it's just it's just uh, arousing our appetite without properly bedding her down. Exactly, again. exactly. They never really followed through with it, but that's all right. So anyhow, there will be. However, this one there will be another Voices of Dentistry. We are not playing you long. You just have to. It's it's just we're we're doing the cliffhanger. So. No, but that was cool. It was really nice. To, I think that was the first time I ever actually met you in person. It was, yeah, which was cool because I feel like we've known each other for a long time and we interact a lot online. And, yeah, yeah. And what is it all about? Just what is that? Like online friends. There are tons of people like at the Voices of Dentistry yeah. and even Dentaltown meetings. It's a little creepy where these people that I know really well and actually have had like relationships that involve business dealings and much of my much of my dental practice and everything has to do with these people that I've actually never met before. It's weird, yeah. right? Yeah, there are many people I consider to be good friends that I've never laid eyes on it. And maybe and it's best hope. if you never do. Maybe you never know. Yeah, yeah, because you're just hoping that when you meet them, they're. they're like, I, no, I'm always worried about me being. I'm always worried about me just being a giant disappointment after all that. You know, I have a well, microphone. I have a microphone with really good, with really good electronics to make me sound a lot more cool than yeah. i really am my actual voice is kind of like this uh, that's when yeah. I, people meet me in person like, they look at you and say they look at me and say wow you have a really good microphone don't you i said yeah i do it's yeah true. yeah it's like uh, photoshop for the voice <laughs> it is baby it is <laughs> i sound like james Earl jones when i'm in my basement that's all i'm saying <laughs> I, I, well, I don't understand why i don't sound like that all the time but in my basement i am james Earl jones so well uh, interestingly so your podcast four years and you spend most of your time talking about science and scientific skepticism would that be an accurate description yes i think so and um a big thing that we focus on as well kind of emerging out of that is also science communication and the interaction between science whether it's dentistry or any other branch of science or medicine and how that intersects with the public because what good is having this information if we can't adequately and effectively communicate that to the public. I just had a thought. I had a thought like when I was in, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, remember when like your classes were dictated by whoever put the curriculum together? You didn't really have a lot of electives. Your electives came down to whether you were in band or in gym. And every yeah. seventh and eighth grader had English and they had math and they had, and, oh, actually, I guess in. It was in ninth grade you got algebra, but it was basically math in seventh and eighth grade, and you had science, <laughs> and it just was. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, physics. It wasn't biology. It was science. Science. And, yeah. And I remember seventh grade science was kind of like it, it. It had a sort of chemistry basis, and I remember eighth grade science was very specifically kind of physics and physical sciences, and then ninth grade went to biology. But here's the thing: I never felt like science was controversial when I was in seventh and eighth grade. Like I it just never, and maybe I I just wasn't paying attention, and it was, but none of right. like, like science was multiple choice questions that you got right, you know, or wrong, but it was there was an answer, and it wasn't controversial yeah. answer. What the hell happened? Why? Why? That's well, a good point. Like, why is it that? Why is it you say that we need to have science communication, right? And I totally agree. I feel like scientists not only have to have proper research protocols and have to just be knowledgeable on a whole bunch of topics. They now also have to be able to communicate well because maybe the public isn't going to accept their knowledge. I don't know. It bugs me a little bit because I don't remember that when I was growing up being such a thing. And I, I'm sure that has more to do with social media and all that stuff. What do you think about that? 
I think so too. I grew up in Oklahoma, so it you know, as far as the first thing that I thought of when you were mentioning that is like the theory of evolution, and you know, the f- more conservative or you know, uh, Bible belty mm-hmm. the state is, the more controversial that could become. And I don't remember that being controversial in the 70s when I was taking junior high and high school science. Now, that being said, I wasn't dialed into it. So maybe there were letters being written or maybe they avoided it or taught around it. And I just wasn't aware because that's all I knew. You know, maybe I didn't realize that this isn't what they were teaching or whatever. But yeah, I don't remember any um, hubbub about it at all. Yeah, uh, that said, that said, evolution, like the curriculum was so tight to, I mean, first off, when you're teaching science, <laughs> I have a, a class, remember in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, Herbie had a book that just said dentistry on it. It's just yeah, one yeah. book. It was dentistry. <laughs> that's that's kind of like, it's like, I'm yeah. taking science class. Well, let's be frank. That's a pretty, you've got a pretty wide selection of topics you can cover there. So maybe... I don't remember evolution being covered particularly specifically, even when I was taking biology classes and stuff like that. So maybe it's oh. one of those things where it wasn't contra- – because they were they were teaching the not controversial stuff, and I just didn't notice. I don't know exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I remember learning about Mendel's piece, and that's pretty much yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, I mean, you know, it's funny. You think about that. We did – I remember learning quite a bit about genetics. But right, but it was genetics, and it was it was it was sort of classical Mendelian genetics, and you didn't really it wasn't yeah. like oh, and by the way, so that's a good point actually. Like yeah, and and even if even if they talked about evolution, they may have just talked about selection and not yeah exactly you know, not it, 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 there was never not like any word. anti-religious overtone or anything like that. It's just interesting. It's funny that you say that. I've never I literally didn't think about that until we were talking about that, but. So, well, so science has become science communication has become a thing because now everyone takes anything a scientist says as super personally, and I guess maybe because most of what it has to say is that there's political ramifications to most of these things or a lot of these things. Well, it, it's kind of ironic and and in a sad way that science has progressed so far. Look at everything that. Uh, and I say science in quotes because science is a process, really not so much a thing, but just technology and the scientific process has le- led us to so many amazing discoveries from, you know, from technological breakthroughs. You'll just throw out the, you know, putting humans on the moon and medical breakthroughs and everything. But so you would think that the science would be more settled as time passed and more locked down. But what we're finding is there are so many offshoots, whether it's alternative medicine or denial of climate change or denial of evolution. And, you know, flat earthers are making a comeback. And so yeah, what is that things, all about? I mean, like Facebook I, is full of groups of flat and you, you want to believe it's parody and it, apparently it is not. Exactly. I think it's a real thing. I mean, I don't know. I want to think that it's just a tongue in cheek thing, but it doesn't seem like it, and it just you know you know why should scientists spend their time and effort and spend energy fighting and arguing that the earth is indeed um well it's not round it's what an oblate spheroid oblate spheroid exactly <laughs> well but, <laughs> but I mean, on the other hand, you really I really have to argue about that now I think we've answered our own question though because yeah, you do because now, okay, it used to be that like 
the textbook you got in science, that was that was the word on science. Well, now we have like everyone has a seat at the table when it comes to what truth is, because social media is is a completely free and open, you know. Yes. So if you have a blog that you're writing about the earth being flat and, and you get an audience that that believes it all of a sudden you're an expert, whether you really have any background in in you know, in the science of that. And so what I think the difference between science, science is not truth. I think science as a process try, tries to drive at the truth, but it's like the truth is, is maybe an unreachable goal in some ways, but we just keep getting better and better. And that's, yeah. but the story is a lot of people's truth doesn't line up with, you know, the physical realities of, of the universe. You know, that's sort of the, that's sort of the tough part. That is the tough part. And that's, I think, the role of the uh, science communicator. And that's and so you guys that you guys have made a point of you've had a lot of guests in that space uh like the science communication space you've had a lot of guests I mean you've had you've had some guests that are um controversial where and some that are really popular in the skeptic community and I I want to come back to that we'll spend a fair amount of time yeah. on that but I, I do want to give Grant uh well he deserves a lot for my development as a podcaster because for one thing um I actually got into the skepticism science like thing in understanding that yes i am a scientific skeptic from probably the first of two podcasts that i ever started listening to the i the first podcast i've told people this before that i ever listened to was is called Mugglecast, and it was um it was about the time that the sixth harry potter book came out that i started actually mm. understanding that podcasts were a thing Mugglecast is funny because it was literally done by a, a bunch of junior high kids at the time and it was literally the biggest and best like Harry Potter podcast out there. And I was kind of into the books and all that stuff. So, uh, and MuggleCast was a round table. They always had multiple people from all over the country doing this MuggleCast thing. And then lo and behold, the next one I found that I really liked was the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is a huge podcast. Huge. Um, and it's been going on for, I don't know. 11 10, years? Yeah, 11 years. I it's think 11. A long yeah. time. and. It's the Dr. Steve Novell and his brothers and the whole crew and everything. And, and there was there was a time when, I mean, literally my week revolved around the Saturday when it was going to be released. And, and I mean, it was a huge deal. And um, I came to realize after listening to that podcast for as long as I have that, that I am, I clearly have a scientific skeptic outlook on things. They talk a lot about, you know, uh, paranormal things, you know, UFOs and, and Bigfoot. and But they also talk a lot about uh, alternative medicine. They talk about... Uh, all kinds of different things that are, you know, where people's beliefs are, are don't line up with the physical universe, as we said. And so, I mean, this was hugely influential. And this was back in like 2006, 2007 that I started listening. And um, I yeah. remember, I, I remember I was listening when Perry died, right? Like, right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I remember when Perry was on the show and then, yeah, and then he, too, and he originally. died and I'm just like, oh my and it was God. sad. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is like happening yeah. in real time. So, so yeah. I go, I go kind of way back with them, and then lo and behold, I realize that there's this community uh, on top of the fact it's not just them, but they sort of represent a lot of people that have these these views, and so I, I really a lot of a lot of the way that I the the books I read and the things I consumed had to do with that, and that's kind of where I ran into you guys. Um, so a I started listening to podcasts, and then I realized that there was this dentist doing a podcast. Uh, on skepticism, and that's kind of I'm not exactly sure where I first ran into you guys. I'm not. I'm, I wonder if I met. I knew Jason from Dental Town, so that's probably where I ran into you. Right, and were you on the uh, old Ace Forum? I was not. I never was. Okay, so 
but that's not it either. Yeah, so, so I, I know you were heavier there, and I, I was on Dentaltown. I, I've known Jason Luchtfeld for forever. Um, I remember when right. he, he might have been a dental student when I first knew him, if he was on Dentaltown. And, I, mean, I just remember that he was yeah. just this young punk. Of course, I was also a young punk at the time, too, but... Um, so that's probably how I connected that you guys were doing the podcast, but I never realized then that it, Jason was a skeptic until then either. So, yeah. And I, then that probably, it probably unfolded on Facebook then because Jason and I had met through the old ACE forum and that's kind of where we started realizing that we were in the minority. Yeah. Of yeah. In that form, you ACE. definitely were in the minority. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so then there must he must have been the bridge because then, not long after that, we started the uh, science based dentistry. Uh, yeah, Facebook, Facebook group. group. That's probably where and it then, is. Yeah. Then it, then it was game on. So, so yeah, that it's been a fun journey because that's exactly why Jason and I started the podcast. Is we realized that uh, we were seeing the success of Skeptics Guide to the Universe. We were seeing the success of the science based the science-based medicine blog as well, mm-hmm. where all these various topics were being discussed from a scientific viewpoint. Some controversial things like vaccines and homeopathy and that type of things. And uh, But there really wasn't much of a voice in dentistry. That's exactly right. The yeah. same thing. And so we both uh, talked about it kind of behind the scenes, and then we actually met out in Las Vegas at the amazing meeting. The, oh, the, uh, okay, so you guys met for the first time at TAM. That's cool. Yeah, we met at TAM, and then that's where uh, we kind of hatched the plot to um, to start the podcast. I and, expect there's probably been a lot of podcasts and, and you know group blogs and stuff hatched at TAM. TAM stands for the amazing meeting, and it's named after the amazing Randy, who probably is the the patron saint of of skeptics and skeptic groups. Who's I mean, he's yeah. still alive. He's, you guys had him on the show. I couldn't believe how yeah, sharp he did. was. I couldn't believe. I mean, he is not a young fella. I mean, he's he's well into his eighties, isn't he? Yeah, he's uh, pushing ninety. I think he's yeah. eighty-eight or eighty-nine. And yeah. he was just uh, at about uh, two or three weeks ago. They had Nexus, which is the Northeast mm-hmm. Conference of Science and Skepticism in New York City, and he was there. I didn't. I didn't go. Clay, my co-host, went. But uh, yeah, he was. He's there. He's still wandering around. I just it blows my mind. It's almost like. Um, that kind of longevity that that's inspiring. He's and well, I'll have links to all these things on the show notes if you guys are interested. All these are sort of like like you know special points for the skeptic the skeptic community because he's he's a pretty pretty important guy in that community and these meetings are a pretty important thing in the in that community. Basically, it's the community is built on people who who are who really uh, they're evidence based and they 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 try and really vet their beliefs. A lot of them have a lot of background in in. Um, science i mean a lot of scientists but a lot of people are just they like to ask questions and, and they they like uh they like critical thinking that sort of thing but what's cool about grant so grant and jason started this podcast and the thing that's influential to me about it is that i had never been on a podcast before and you guys invited me onto the podcast um i can't mm-hmm. I, like uh, we started the dental hacks in june of 2014 so we're just over three yep. years old and yep. um and but I think I think it was May, or maybe a couple months earlier than that, that I recorded with you guys. I recorded with you guys first. I had never been on a show. Recorded with you guys first, and and I think it was at that point I realized I can do this. You know, I can I can I I could do this if I wanted to. And I think everyone who listens to podcasts pretty 
pretty regularly and frequently thinks to themselves, I could do this. This doesn't seem that hard, you know? Um, so, well, Al, it was, it was obvious from, from the start that when we first interviewed you, and it was May of 2014, and we talked about, I think we just talked about some general stuff. We talked about, um, we're, you were uh, big on grape soda at the time, if I remember. But uh, <laughs> I think we, so. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about you know fluoride stuff and uh, the the uh, what is it the NCCAM or the yeah. you know the arm of the of the uh, NIH. So, that's yeah, the NIH. Complimentary. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I think that's when you realize that you love the sound of your own voice. I think that's I think that's exactly right. I I like to hear me talk. Well, yeah, I, I a, agree with a, me. Yeah, you have. <laughs> You have a mellifluous, sonorous voice. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. It's very NPR-ish. Yeah. I, You'll uh, go far. I, I, have a, I have a microphone. That's what it is. Yes. It's all, it's all, it's all a big lie. But I, I well, realize well, that... you I, have done, jokes aside, you have done with all your, you know, this new project and, and the hacks. I mean, you've done yeoman's work and have put out really great podcasts and and then organizing the uh, the conference. I mean, gosh, that's well. You know, so it's you funny though. I, I've come podcasting. to realize. I've come to realize that. I mean, podcasting. I may be podcasting may be a particularly good um, medium for me. Like I, because before I was podcasting, I, I had a, my my office website is a blog, and then I have my own blog, the Blogging Dentist. And frankly, once I started podcasting, those really got those really got thrown to the side. I, I barely do that anymore. I should because it's there's a lot of good reasons to do the writing, but. Um, podcasting is is a medium that that I think everyone should be looking into because it's because it's really um, I mean it's you know you can dink around with microphones and recording techniques and stuff like that but the bottom line is if you got a message to put out there it's the best way to do it and it is it does continue Absolutely. to grow everyone says that oh podcasts have jumped the shark but you know it continues to grow if if they had then the really good podcasts out there like from Gimlet. And from you know NPR and all these different, they wouldn't continue to to make great shows. You know, it's there's it's. I still think it's it is the future. I think, and and I didn't know that at the time. I just knew that I really liked doing it. But I also now I realize I really like listening to them. I really like having that content out there. So the other thing that we should mention, I'm going to have a whole bunch of links on your show here. We have a a Facebook group that's actually it's a lot of people in it. We call it the Dental Podcasting Incubator. And basically, it's anyone uh, who's interested in you know maybe starting their own podcast or podcast or seeing behind the scenes or whatever we started a group i don't know a year or two ago and uh so if you have questions or comments or you're just interested in finding out what you know what it's like to actually run a podcast it's called the dental podcasting incubator and it's a it's a private yeah. group you can you can request an invite we'll let you in but uh, and i mean it's not super active but it's a lot of great questions get asked there there's a lot of good you know background information um so yeah, yeah it I is a good group it is a good group and 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 you know, that plus the Voices of Dentistry conference, I'll keep going with that. The wonderful thing about it is, and I, this doesn't surprise me, but it's just refreshing to see that when a bunch of podcasters get together, either online or, or in person, it's not like a cutthroat competitive thing where we're trying to, well, my podcast is better than yours, or, you know, we're not trying to elbow each other out for uh, market share or anything. Everyone is so helpful and everyone's very supportive of everyone else's project. And I think we realize that, you know, we're all in this together and we're all trying to promote, you know, whatever 
you know, in this case, dentistry. Yeah. But uh, but it's a it's a great group. It's a very supportive and encouraging group. As I was well. I was surprised at how. Well, first off, I wonder if it's just because podcasts are free. You know, it's it's not like <laughs> yeah. it's not like if you listen to to Grant's podcast, you can't listen to my podcast or whatever. There's there's kind of room for everyone. Literally, the only <laughs> the only limiting factor is like how long your commute is or how long you're willing to mow your lawn or whatever. Right. You know, because <laughs> exactly because I mean, there there you you kind of live in your headphones, and I really do. I mean, I have forty minute I have forty minute commute one way. You know, two times a day when I'm at work. So that's really where this whole yeah. this whole thing came about. Um. And I, we know I exercise, I do mow the lawn, we feed the horses. I have a lot of time in my headphones, and thus podcasts have been a really good thing for me. I'm, I'm an audiobook guy, too, but I've moved to podcasts because it's so much more topical. And, I mean, is there yeah. anything better than when you find a new podcast that you, you just, like, click with, and then you can add it to that list of podcasts that are must-listens? You know, when they come out, you know you're going to be listening to them. There's some that when they come out, if you, if you don't have anything on the top of your list, you can listen to, but you get... I love that. There's kind of nothing better. And what's happening is a lot of podcasts now are like serial where they're, they're a limited run. You know, there's going to be 10 episodes yeah. or 12 episodes, and then you, you have to kind of parse them out slowly because you, you don't want to run out too yeah. soon. Crime Town yeah. was, was one like that for me. God, I love that. That, that show was great. I, I knew, S, and I knew it was going to end. S-Town was the same way. Don't end. And that was one that they released all the episodes at once. So it was even yeah. more excruciating because you knew you only had one more episode. Oh, it was awful. And you knew you were going to binge. Yeah, right. And totally. you knew that you couldn't parse it out. But that's also what I will throw out there is the advantage of podcasts that way is a, it, it's a good thing. But it can also be a bad thing because what people tend to do is curate their own experience. In other words, one of the problems with science communication is we all tend to get in an echo chamber. Yes. And we all tend to hang out with people who think like us, and we all tend to – I say we all. I'm obviously overgeneralizing. But we tend to stay in our tribe, avoid people in other tribes, and if someone in the science realm doesn't think the same way as you do, then they are stupid or idiotic or they have a conflict of interest or they're being paid by someone. And so there's a huge divide that – I think this social media podcast, this, you know, this new information era actually helps create. On one hand, there's a lot of information out there. Anything is readily mm-hmm. available to anyone. I mean, you know, the, a child in the, you know, the jungles of, of, of Indonesia with an Internet connection has more information as his or her fingertips than Albert Einstein did in his lifetime that's really true and uh, what i really i really like to picture a child in the middle of the jungle in indonesia listening to the alan meat experience that's what i really like to picture i mean just make, like a hand cranked uh exactly. like <laughs> cranked big. battery for his phone and he spends he spends his his precious precious uh data on downloading yes. the alan meat experience and um picturing him enjoying fart jokes and everything exactly <laughs> i don't even know the language and i love this show i don't know <laughs> but his voice is so sonorous. It is, and but it is really true when you think about it. You have a computer yeah. in your hand that that clearly has way more computing power than we did when we like sent people to the moon, right? And we were you one of the, were you one of the people that sent people to the moon? Yeah, I always remember the guy with the vest. Uh, uh, that was God, me. Please. That was me. Yeah, that was me. Wow, the vest was That's me. Awesome. You can tell because I wear but vests th- all the time. That's me. Yeah. So. You know, that's that's a problem. And so one of our missions on our, on our podcast is to try to to get out there that that 
skept- scientific skeptics need to get out of their tribe. They need to get out of their little um, self-congratulatory circle jerk where we sit around and, and say how smart we are and how stupid everyone else is and engage people. I mean, that might, you know, in, in medicine, that might be for physicians and, and other science-based medicine aficionados to talk to anti-vaxxers, not just yell at them or tell them they're stupid. I, and, you know, it's so tempting to do that, though. You know yeah, what? Like, Because for one thing, like when I realize that I have this knowledge, you know, like or I find something out or, or un, you know, remember something from microbiology that, that, that maybe the general public doesn't know, I like to think to myself, how can they be so dumb? How can they believe these things? How can... And I mean, classic thing on my, I wrote a, I wrote an, um, oh, Dr. Oz talked about amalgam. God, yes. four years ago, I wrote a blog post about how Dr. Oz was wrong about amalgam. And I, I mean, as recently as this morning, I got an anti-amalgam person putting a scathing comment on that thing. And the, I mean, the comments are worth their weight in gold. And, but the thing about it is, is that this is not anything, I, I can't talk them out of this idea. There is, there is no data that I could present to to anyone no. like this that that would change their mind and so it makes me kind of want to hate them it makes me want to kind of yell and tell them how dumb they are but i so when you when faced with that because it's a perfect example of of what you're talking about like yeah what 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 does the science communicator do to someone who isn't hearing and i don't know that there's a good solution by the way i just i don't i don't know there is either um well first off i will say that Things fall into two different categories, in my opinion. If you are a true, um, I'll, I'll say charlatan, that's probably too harsh, but mm-hmm. the Dr. Oz's, the Mercola's of the world, the Andrew Wakefield, who published fraudulent data, oh gosh, yeah. vaccines to autism, uh, they deserve all the scorn and and venom that we can drum up because they are doing real harm and they, for the most part, know what they're doing. And they're, and they're making a ton of money off it. Let's face exactly. it. Mer- Mercola is like a multi-gazillionaire. Right. From- <laughs> and he's peddling snake oil. Yeah. And, um, and by fear-mongering, every single thing is everything you look at and touch can kill you. Um, so you know, they- okay, as an aside, don't endodontists yeah. have to feel like totally, totally like, uh, why, why hasn't the, 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 endodont- the AAE coming, come out and said something? Like Mercola basically says root canals are dead teeth and they cause yeah. cancer. And I always think to myself, there's an entire specialty in dentistry that basically yeah. treats, you know, infections in teeth. Right. And there's this dude, this dude who has maybe a bigger voice than the AAE. You know, literally, he's got a bigger voice probably than the ADA oh. for granted. Is yeah. saying that you know this entire, this entire. I mean, there's entire schools across the country that that teach this. And and in like two blog posts, he can basically turn yeah. half the world against root canals. I'm like, wait a second, what is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so people like that, they are, um, you know, they deserve all the, the, the scorn that can be heaped upon them. Sure. But what I'm talking about is, is the, the average person who just wants what's best for their health mm-hmm. and their children. And, you know, an, a mom or a dad who is anti-vax, um, by that I mean anti-vaccine, because they read that it can cause autism or mm-hmm. that you know, you're injecting fetal babies into their kid or yeah, or, 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 or even or even 
or even a mellowed thing. Oh, we're just giving too many too soon. Too sort many, of there's, right? There's, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of the, and it's not like that's a hard thing to find. Where literally, when you Google vaccines, I don't know that that's what's going to come up. Yeah, I don't first. know that like the CDC report that's or or, right. or you know peer reviewed science comes up necessarily first, even. And peer reviewed science, even if it comes up first, is dry and lifeless, yeah. and it's just facts and figures and. A lot of people who weren't trained in the science may not even know how to interpret that. Mm -hmm. But where the anti-vax, and we'll just go with this because it's the most convenient, mm -hmm. but, but they tell a narrative because they don't have facts and figures to support what they say. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they say – they show a picture or a video of their darling little child who was perfect in every way, and then she got a vaccine – and then developmental issues started happening. Mm -hmm. And obviously, correlation does not equal causation. And it's been demonstrated in literature that that's not true. Mm -hmm. But when you see a picture of, a, of parents holding their, their child, then that's compelling. And that's what, you, that's what registers. We, we register things emotionally, orders of magnitude more than we do Cognitively yeah. or humans, humans are, are a storytelling bunch. I mean, to be sure, yes, exactly. that, is, that is literally the reason I started this podcast. Right. I mean, I, I love the Dental Hacks podcast for all it is, but, but yeah. it, was, it was not a great place to have a storytelling narrative kind of, kind of this is where I came from or this is what. And, and that, was, that was the point of it. And one of the reasons to do that is because it's, it's, we're, like I think, genetically programmed to, to listen and understand and be moved by, by stories and narrative. And so... That is one of the things that a lot of a lot of maybe um, things that are not true or beliefs that are that are hard to support with evidence. Yeah, uh, you know, because they don't have a compelling narrative. Microbiology texts not a not a compelling narrative. No, yeah, Immunology yeah. not a compelling narrative. True, completely true, but they don't right. have much of a narrative. And so that's and one of the reasons that, right. that we need yeah. people like you out there. You know, I love honestly. I kind of love immunology. Not not like the 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 textbook story, but the bottom line is like. I always have I always laugh about germaphobes, you know, because when you think about germaphobe people are actually that's sort of a mental hang up because the reality is is that our our immune system is pretty much working constantly without us having any idea of, that it's working. Yet, you know, one person is particularly worried that that you know, maybe you know, maybe a bug landed on their sandwich or something, you know, it's like Exactly. It's, Past the Purell. Exactly. And they don't realize that that every breath they take there are more antigens in that one breath yeah. that is, are insulting their immune system. And our immune systems are amazingly good. When you think about how much yeah. how much uptime you have, how how often you know it's it's horrible the the few days a, a year that you have a cold. But when you think about how much uptime we have, I'm like our immune systems don't need much from us. They're doing. I mean, and clearly some of the 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 sickest people in the world are the ones that have an immune system that's not functioning normally. We we take it for granted, even you know so. And and that's one of the things you know people maybe don't they have maybe they haven't boosted it enough with supplements. Yeah, exactly. I just which is the whole difference. It, it just, but it also just, it, exactly though, it's relative risks too. People I think don't realize the re relative risk. It's kind of the same situation where a patient walks into our office and fights his tooth and nail about taking a single radiograph, which is basically next to zero radiation mm -hmm. exposure because they're afraid of radiation, and then they get out of you know, then they walk out of our office and light up their cigarette. Yeah. And go, 
go sunbathe yeah, all exactly. day long. So um, it is. It's it's just kind of that they don't understand relative risk. And I think it has it has everything to do with the narrative that they happen to to receive or the narrative that 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 resonates with them. And so science communication is is a relatively like like taking science communication seriously is relatively new. I mean, I've heard of particularly in the skeptic community, they've really started talking about it over the last three, four years because, you know, when you take a look at all of the amazing, cool things that science and technology have to offer, yet so much of it, the narrative, we're not as worried about the narrative maybe as we should be. Not, not right. that, And the narrative doesn't have to be untrue. It just has to be compelling, right? I mean, like, you can have amazing, great facts with the, and just make sure that they're compelling and told the story is told in a compelling way. And, you know, it's easy to tell scary emotional stories that aren't true. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that's what well, fiction is, right? That's yeah. I mean, the Stephen King. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, so it, I think that, and sciencey people are probably not huge on telling great stories because that's not what they no. that's not what they went into it for. I think no. in a lot of cases. No, and I think um, you're absolutely right. Carl Sagan was perhaps one of the first true science communicators mm-hmm. where he was brilliant and he could tell a compelling story. You would just, even if you weren't a science fan, if you watched him narrate the cosmos series or whatever, you were, you were gripped. And so this generation, we are seeing the Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm-hmm. um, the Bill Nye's, and we're seeing more and more of science communicators or scientists realizing that science communication is critical. So I think it's getting better but I don't. I still think we're kind of losing the battle against the more effective commun- anti-science communicators. Mm-hmm. Um, there are even institutes. Alan Alda founded a uh, an institute at uh, at I think the SUNY uh, State University of mm-hmm. New York, um, the Alan Alda Center for Science Communication, or or ever, where you go for a week and learn how to communicate science, and they do. Uh, improv comedy drills they they use all the techniques of performance and and how to bring forth a scientific narrative to bridge that gap because you know what what he maintains and I completely agree is you can speak a scientist can speak to a layperson in layperson's terms without dumbing it down mm-hmm. you can still provide the the same information you just don't you know have to use big technical um, specialized words. And, uh, and so I think that's getting some traction, but again, is it enough? And, and okay, so I, 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 I just had a crazy thought, like a couple things. First off, like that science communication center. <laughs> yeah. We should get a bunch of dentists to go to that thing. Cause how, how, oh. tr- how true is it that dentists and even dental team members don't even realize that they use dental terminology, that there's no reason oh, a yeah. regular patient should know. I'm exactly. guilty as charged, man. And I'm, I go yeah. out of my way to try not to be, and I still can be. I, yeah, I, it's I, funny. It's funny. I, I, I mean, I remember one. hearing about that Alan Alda Center, but I'm like, this isn't a problem that just scientists, like when you think of scientists, you think of someone walking out of a lab, you know, or something like that. We're talking, yeah. you know, medicine is essentially applied science. We do the same thing all the time. It's, exactly. It's a really interesting point. But the other thing, as I, we got a few minutes left, but as I wrap up, I realize that, I mean, I enjoy talking to Grant, yes, but I also feel like dentistry could use, uh, could use, I want to have you on as a regular to talk about different topics that we can get hung up in 
you know, versus. Oh, so, I would I would be honored to do this. Well, I mean, I feel like we could it can be sort of our skeptical track on on the Alan Mead experience because there's so many different and it doesn't always just have to be dental stuff. But we've talked a lot about, yeah. for instance, vaccinations, that sort of thing. But there's plenty of dental topics that are that are sort of the narrative. It maybe gets off the rails. We talked about anti-amalgam, too. Just I mean, I know it's, it's not yeah. very, I don't have a lot of time, but, you know, you and I talked about something that came up like last year that was a big hit it, dentists really did not get our point across well what well, tell us a little bit about that about the flossing yeah you mean? the flossing yeah yeah there are reports in the media about systematic reviews that showed that flossing was not effective against prevention of tooth decay and uh and periodontal disease and so once those systematic reviews come out then the media takes it and runs with it. And mm-hmm. the media, very often, the print media especially, they don't understand the – because they don't understand the studies to start with. They are science writers, so they might uh, have a basis in science. And they're sensationalistic. Flossing doesn't work. And I think one rag in the UK, the Daily Mail or whatever, said flossing doesn't work and may even be harmful. Yeah. And, and, and let's just add to the fact, I don't mean to be, play the victim card, but frankly, the media likes to pillory dentists whenever they can. Of course. I mean, of course. Because we, we charge too much and we, you know, we might hurt people and, and people go to the dentist when they have pain. It's, it's, we, we are a very easy target. We are, we are, we like, are, we are like Trump, Trump level easy target. Let's just say that. Oh. Uh, so, you know, one of, when that came out, one of the first things I did was, tried to deconstruct the actual research. How does the research jive with what is being put out there? Because if, you know, the problem is, is the research does show that in most cases, flossing doesn't have a lot of effect Mm -hmm. on incidence of caries and periodontal disease, but it's not because flossing doesn't work. It's because people, A, aren't flossing and B, when they do floss, they don't do it effectively. They don't do it properly. And so what this research did show, I think, that, I think the C part of that, you had A, B, and C. C is that like research design hasn't really been put together that that would show uh, smoking gun evidence either way. Like it's not exactly flossing. Well, is, except, flossing is probably the least sexy thing to to research, and you know, that's not a lot of money in it. Either. Yeah, exactly. So, but what they did show is for people who flossed properly. There was a decrease decrease in caries and periodontal disease. And so that wasn't said in all the splashy news outlets. So all of us dentists had patients come in, I heard that floss doesn't work. And I would say, well, it doesn't for you because you don't do it right. No, I didn't say that. But, (laughs) you know, so it's I think that's just an example and maybe it's not, you know, that's not an earth-shattering example, but that's just well, a very... I, but I remember how irritated dentists were, and, and it goes back yeah. to our narrative. The problem was, instead of looking at what the research was and maybe taking it as a good example of, well, why maybe sometimes what the media says isn't, is, is taken out of context, dentists immediately got into defensive modes. That's not true. They don't know what they're right. talking about. And I mean, so the narrative that came out about dentists was angry angry and oh you know and so reactionary we come off looking defensive about that stuff and and that is it's because we're not it's because we're not looking big picture at the narrative it's what we've talked about the whole time i mean because people people are already would love to bag on dentists whenever possible 
and and I mean well, I, I understand I understand why you know no one we're sort of the bad guys in some ways it's, we have sort of a negative because of what we have to do to people but the reality is we don't make it any better for ourselves when we just freak out about that you know it's it's why not talk about if we believe flossing is good why and what kind of research we might be able to do that would give right. us maybe better evidence one way or the other well let me flip this over on its head another problem with dentists and science people in general, is if the evidence indeed, it, let's just say well-done studies were were performed and it showed definitively that flossing didn't work, a true science-based dentist should accept that and say, wow, I was wrong. Now I need to rethink my th- thinking and my protocols and we need to find other better ways to prevent tooth decay and mm-hmm. gum disease. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of dentists would fight tooth and nail. They would still say the research is wrong. We should still floss. And they didn't, they would deny the science at least originally Mm -hmm. because that's what we do. We are, we are, you know, beholden to our sacred cows Mm -hmm. and, um, it, you know, takes kind of a, a time for that swell to happen. The status quo is very comfortable. Mm, This feels nice sitting in the status quo. This feels nice, and I don't don't want to change my mind about something (laughs) because that would burn too many calories. Yeah, definitely. But, but yeah, so that's the flip side of it. As as open-minded scientists, like you said earlier, truth isn't a specific point that we've reached and now we know everything. It's always, we're always modifying what we know about the universe by Science is an exploration of that. We poke and prod and push the limits of what we know. And so when we find out new things, we have to be willing to accept it, even if it means we have to overturn some of our most deeply held beliefs. Yeah, I feel like I feel like what we've done is sort of like set the table for like maybe a bunch of episodes because we can get in a little bit more specific about certain things that that get in our craw. So Grant, thank you a lot no for being li- on here. I have no life, so anytime you want me to come on, <laughs> we may be hearing a lot from Grant. This was this was great. I think that I think I think uh, uh, listeners may understand where I'm going with this, and and I think some listeners are going to be, eh, I'm not into that, but but I feel like this is a big part of my life, and I, and uh, like I love going into this stuff, and I really enjoyed talking with you, Grant. So expect to hear more from Grant. And uh, man, thank you a ton for being on the show, and we'll definitely have you on again. Well, I uh, would be honored to. And if, if, you know, you get really bad feedback from this episode or get negative Yelp reviews, then you can tell me to get lost. Yeah, that's I'll, right. We, I, I suspect we'll see. It's my show. I can do what I want anyhow. So, you know, man, there you go. That's right. Our great leader. Well, Al, it's been great. You know, you and I have gone back a long time, and it's always fun catching up with you. And and uh, appreciate you having me on and giving me the opportunity to spout my nonsense. All right. Thanks very much, Grant Ritchie. And we'll talk to you again soon. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode of the Alan Mead Experience, please email me at alan, A-L-A-N, at the Alan Mead Experience. And since this podcast is new, we're just getting on our feet. I'd love it if you'd go over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a review and leave us five stars. We're trying to get the word out about about narrative-based storytelling dental podcasts. So thank you again for listening.